Hello everyone, it's Edwin from Wake Up Learn, where we share inspirational stories, technology stories, and productivity tips to help you wake up your hidden talents. Stay tuned. Hello everyone, it's Edwin from Wake Up Learn. Welcome back. Our next topic is ownership versus digital sharecropping. A good friend recently told me about the concept of digital sharecropping, and I hadn't really heard the term used in that way. I've heard of sharecropping, but not digital sharecropping. And he talked about a blogger um, that mentioned it, and the term was coined by Nicholas Carr and also blogged about Sonia Simone on her blog, Copy Blogging. So what is sharecropping? Let's start with the basics. Well, in sharecropping, which was commonly used at the, after slavery during the Reconstruction area in the South, where they needed people to work the land, um, generally ex-slaves. And they would, you know, obviously didn't have any capital and there was no really labor market since there was no currency in the Confederacy that it was pretty scarce. So the owner of the farm let the tenant stay there and work the land. So often called tenant farming. So you don't own the land, but you work it to keep a small percentage of the land. So this is starting to sound familiar. And you also, you know, you usually what happen if, if a crop didn't come in, you start getting the farmer would give you credit and you start getting further and further into debt. My grandfather on my mother's side actually was a tobacco farmer in North Carolina and he even shows up on the census records in the early 1900s as a farmer or laborer, which is pretty interesting. And he came up north um, to work in a steel mill because the farm that he worked on, uh, I think he worked with his uncle, um, only paid once a year when the crop came in. So... It shows you how the wages were. So what's this have to do with modern day? You know, you're not farmers, you're working on digital things. If you think about it, a lot of the infrastructure is the same, especially now if you're just doing this for fun, don't worry about it. But if you're actually trying to start a business or do some consulting or make some money, you should always focus on ownership. And the early versions of these programs were tend to be affiliate programs. Now, an affiliate program, such as the owner of the company wants to expand their marketing. So in exchange for you doing some marketing on your own, within their guidelines, of course, they'll give you a small commission of the sale, usually a few percent of the sale. And they provide all the infrastructure. They ship the products, you know, similar to the drop shipping um, that was always popular back with home order businesses in the 80s and 90s, where you kind of didn't really see the product. Someone ordered it and you drop shipped it and you kept a piece of the money. So this is even less work or it's just digital. And someone clicks on a link and you get a small commission for that link. Sounds great until you realize that there's a lot of time and effort into marketing um, products and 
and a lot of labor, a lot of your time, a lot of your people you may hire to work with you have time, and you're still not in control of the process. So you know, it's an interesting way to get started. You know, I've experimented with it myself, but oftentimes you may find a successful process that within the guidelines, and then the company changes the guidelines. And that's often happened to lots of affiliate marketers. It was really popular late '90s, early 2000s. There, a lot of affiliate marketing. Now, in the age of these massive, I call them massive, because I mean, there's billions of people, at least millions of people, online on these social media sites. You know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Udemy, Patreon, all these sites that allow people to put up free content, and it's totally free. And people are kind of setting up businesses. They even have certain types of business pages. You know, Facebook has a business page, Instagram, YouTube has ways to set up your page. LinkedIn still more business to business, but businesses set up pages also.、Um, it's a little different approach, but the same nonetheless. And what people are finding is. You know, they have this huge audience. I'm getting feedback. I even figured out maybe I got some consulting. You know, maybe if I'm do well enough, I'll get some feedback. I'll get some payback from the company. They may give me some ad revenue. May do a partnership, a product placement with me if I do well. And I call these lottery stories because everyone knows, I've heard of someone that wins a lottery, but your odds are astronomical. And now you have Instagram influencers that get you know sponsorships. You have a seven-year-old opening up toys, and somehow they have multi-million-dollar contracts. And they've been working at it, and you know it's good stuff. And there's YouTube stars, and there's Twitch partners that get paid for playing games and entering contests. And all that's wonderful, and those are great things. And people have probably started with little capital, and they've gotten more and more professional, and they've bought equipment and bought stories.、And、then you realize your whole business model is still set on someone's. Else's platform. So we often hear about. I mean, so when people post things on Google, they hear, you know you hear them complaining about. Well, someone changed the Google algorithm, so now my search doesn't appear, or some. You know, I've been put in Facebook jail. Now my page isn't doesn't show up. I've been put in similar thing with Instagram, and of course, Facebook owns Instagram, where my page has been turned off. You know, for thirty days because I said something they didn't like or something inappropriate. Same thing happens on YouTube and also in Twitter. So all these pages are kind of at the whim of whatever corporate changes without any due process. You just if it's bad business or bad publicity, even if it's not, even someone lodges a complaint, it may even be a competitor just secretly lodging some complaint. Your page could be shut off, and you have no access to your customer base. So ever since the mid '90s, I've always encouraged people that I've worked with in doing website development and programming always own your own domain name. I mean, I remember people starting businesses and they had a MySpace page. Now, if you're too old, too young to remember what MySpace is, exactly, it's proving my point that businesses come and go. Or Tumblr, which is owned by Yahoo now, you know, where you don't have the domain name. Or even on Face Instagram now, where the profile page. Because they want to keep you in Instagram, you can only put one link, and people put 
an app called Linktree, which links to your profile in case it changes. But you're better off putting a link to your own domain because you control your domain for the most part. I mean, you pay for the domain registration. You can point it wherever you want. I can point it to whatever server. If I don't like this one server, I can move it to another server. I've had the same domains for years and I've been on several servers. But from the front end, it it looks the same you know, to the client. I'm not changing and saying, hey, everybody, I, I've moved over here. The other biggest thing is that you want to make sure you can get to your clients and they can get to you. And so if something changes, you can say, hey, everybody, I, you know, I, this has changed. I'm over here now or we've got this new product. And the best way, obviously, is usually to get emails. Now, of course, in emails, you have to give something of value now because emails are still very personal and people are tired of spam and bacon which is just repetitive emails that you may have subscribed to but you get overrun so you have to exchange some value and build some trust um, that you're not abusing whatever you're giving them and staying in contact you know periodically and getting that permission as Seth Godin wrote in his book Permission Marketing that you know it's important to stay in contact with your people and it's easier to get a like on Facebook or a like on Instagram or a thumbs up on YouTube or getting a few bits on Twitch but you need to always make sure that you have links to your customer base. Now, you'll have a wider base of the general population that may like a part, part of your page on, say, Facebook. And But once you start filtering down to your clients, you should be trying to get emails and redirecting them to your own domain, your own website, and give them value. And as an example, think of, do you go to Amazon's Facebook page when you have trouble, or do you go to Amazon's website? You know, because they built up a whole infrastructure. I mean, of course, Amazon's huge, but I mean, it's the same principle where you're giving people value, you're building programs in exchange to, you know, provide that. So they're coming to you and you have a direct relationship. You don't have a, a middle person doing that. So keep working on finding your thousand true friends and and own that list and keep them on your domain, yourdomain.com, whatever you want to call it. Or .org, or that's this. I always pitch those two. Of course, there's millions of other permutations of dot whatever, but always do that. And even if you're podcasting, you know, try to make sure things are coming back to your own domain. There's lots of wonderful tools, Anchor, Glimlet, Podcast, Libsyn, all these tools that help. But make sure they're always going back to your your own site. So you can have a good relationship with your clients because things will change. I mean, just recently, Anchor was bought by Spotify. So it should be a wonderful infusion of cash, but they may change. They may change domain names. It, it, they may keep it totally unique for a while, but usually things merge and it becomes part. And you have to you know, be aware of those things and use the tools you know, as that best suits you. So I hope that sinks in and hope you're able to use some of this knowledge. Take care. I'd like to give a special shout out to a friend named Shaw Darby at love2code.com that gave me the idea um, for this podcast. You can check out shawlove2code.com to learn anything about Java, JSP. He has lots of great courses on YouTube and Udemy. Um, check them out. And, and also good stuff on Spring Frameworks and just really a, a great teacher. And you'll learn a lot. Take care. <laughs>